Well, again, we are beginning a brand new message series today called The Bait of Satan. And this series is heavily based on the book that was written by author John Bevere uh, about 20 years ago, or just over 20 years ago. And the truths in this book that he digs out, they're absolutely timeless. It's not one of those things that, well, it doesn't matter anymore. It's kind of gone out of style. No, this book is unbelievable. I'm reading it again um, for the second time now, and it's just as enlightening. It's just as impactful. And so I want to recommend that you pick up a copy of that book and read it maybe as we're going through the series. It's going to help you tremendously. I'm just telling you, it's a powerful, powerful book. But the bait of Satan, the bait of Satan. I mean, this sounds super scary, right? It's like, oh man, what kind of church is this, right? We're talking about Satan. You know, what is this bait of Satan? What is this all about? Well, you saw it in the video that we just watched. The bait of Satan is actually talking about this word, offense. And many people are living their lives with offense, meaning that they are still offended over something that happened years ago in their past, and they've never really gotten over it, or they're easily offended by everything that happens right now in their present. And listen, living your life with offense is not good on any level when you think about it. It's not, it's not good for us emotionally. It's not good for our emotional health. It's not good for our spiritual health. It's not good for our relational health. It's not good for us even with our physical health because when you're offended, your face tells that story and you just tell everybody in the world, I am offended. And what people do is they just kind of stay out of the way. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't mess with him today. Pastor's having a bad morning. It's not good for us on any level. When you're offended, there's usually two things happening that you may not realize, and the video highlighted them both. Number one, you may not realize that you're offended. In fact, I think it's true that most people who are offended, they just don't realize it. They are, they're sort of oblivious to it. And again, it's something that is more obvious to the people around you than it is to you. The second thing is, you may not realize that the offense you're carrying is actually destructive. So you're not just oblivious to the fact that you're offended, you're oblivious to the effects of that offense in your life. That there's some destructive things happening around you and you don't realize it's because of this offense that's buried deep in your heart. Offense is the bait of Satan because when he gets you to take the bait, literally when he gets you to become offended at someone or something that they said or did, he's got you. He's got you trapped in it. He's got you trapped in a prison or a stronghold. And the longer you stay in it, the more difficult it is to get free from it. And the truth is, there's an awful lot of Christians in the body of Christ today who are offended and are living with these sort of destructive patterns that come when we take the bait of Satan. And I just want to be very clear to you that that is not God's will for your life. He's got, he's got something better for you. I will remind you of what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He hasn't called you to live a life of offense and offended, just kind of destroying everything around you. He's called you to live better than that. So over the next several weeks throughout this series, we're going to dive deep into what the Bible says about this bait of Satan called offense. And we're going to talk about how to live free from it, how to get it out of your life and how to stay free. And each week is going to build onto the next. And so I just want to encourage you, don't miss a single week of this series. It's going to be impactful for you. I believe it's going to be life-changing for us as individuals, but I also believe it's going to be life-changing for our relationships and I believe it's going to be life-changing for us as a church as well. I believe that this is a really big deal in the body of Christ. And I think that if we commit ourselves to this and we, we dive into it and we commit to it, I believe we're going to become a stronger church for having gone through this study together. So I just want to encourage you to be a part of it. Let's commit to it and, uh, and be all in on it. And today as we kick the series off, we're going to talk about this word massive, massive offense. We're going to talk about massive offense. But before we get into it, let's pray and let's ask God to bless his word today so that we can receive it. Father, we give you praise and thanks, Lord, for your presence that's in this room already, God. Lord, your presence is here. You're already moving. You have prepared the soil of our hearts now to receive the word of God, the seed of faith, Lord, that comes from your word 
And so, Father, I pray that there would be an anointing today on your word that would confront us, our hearts and our minds. It would confront us in love, and it would invite us to change, Father. It would invite us to transformation. Anoint your word today. Anoint our hearts and our ears to hear it and receive it. And we give you praise for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Well, how many of you are familiar with the song by Ray Stevens called the Mississippi Squirrel Revival? How many have heard that song? Okay, we're going to have to help you guys. It's hilarious. It came out in the early 90s. It goes something like this. The day the squirrel went berserk in the first self-righteous church in that sleepy little town of Pasigula. Pasigula, it was a fight for survival that broke out in revival. No? Okay. Hey, it's a great song. It's a great song, and as you can tell just from the little bit that I sang there, the song is about a squirrel who got loose in the middle of a church service down in Mississippi. A couple of boys brought it in. They thought it would be funny. They let the squirrel loose, and it's running all over the church. So it's running up people's pants legs. It's running laps around women's dresses. The music video is amazing, let me tell you. It is so funny. But needless to say, as people began to exuberantly respond to the moving of the squirrel. The people in the church thought they were responding to the move of the Holy Spirit. And so revival broke out as a result. They're literally jumping up and down, running to the altars, you know, doing the high step. Have you ever seen somebody do the high step in church? They're not just running. They're doing one of these. That's what happened. They all jumped in the baptismal pool to get baptized. Revival broke out because a squirrel got loose in the church. Well, that song almost became a reality for us here at Life Chapel because a few months ago, we had a squirrel come into our building. It's true. Apparently, Comcast came to do some work on the internet here, and, uh, and when they did, they propped the door open for a while, and a squirrel just came right on in and made himself at home. Well, around this same time, it was at the end of November, we had an outbreak of COVID. You remember we had to, we had to uh, shut down in-person services for a couple of weeks, and someone didn't get the message about that, that we had shut the church, uh, shut the, the in-person gathering down, and they showed up for church, and they texted me this on that Sunday morning. They said, did you guys cancel services today? There's nobody here, dot, dot, dot. Also, there's a squirrel in the lobby. <laughs> so I was mortified. I was like, oh, no, this is, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. So I did what any good pastor would do. I came down here to see if I could catch the squirrel. And when I got here, I found that the squirrel was no longer in the lobby. He had moved into the sanctuary. So seriously, if we had have had in-person gathering that Sunday, we would have had a revival broke out most assuredly. It would have been amazing. And now when I got here, I didn't have anything to catch the squirrel with. So I grabbed two things that I found here at the church. I grabbed a pool net and a broom. And literally, I came into the sanctuary like this. And, uh, you know, I, as soon as I walked in, he, he, he heard me and he goes scurrying. So I'm kind of doing this number right here. And now I'm running back over here and he's running from side to side and he's just messing with me. You know what I'm saying? Those squirrels are mean. And then all of a sudden he gets really smart and he goes right up under the stage. And I was like, what are we going to do now? Now, look, I don't know what I was going to do with these two things. I think in my mind, I thought I'm going to prop the door open, and if I can get him to go that way, I'll shoo him right out of the door. But it didn't work. He didn't, he did not, he, he was a sanctified squirrel, okay? He was like David who said, better is one day in the house of God than a thousand days elsewhere. He had no interest in going out the door and leaving this place. And so I was running around. I think we've got some security footage of that somewhere. We'll have to see if we can find it. It's hilarious. But, you know, that didn't work, and so... I was unsuccessful catching him with the net and the broom. And so um, we got smart and uh, we decided to get a squirrel trap, a rodent trap to catch the, catch the squirrel. And Nora let me borrow one of her stuffed animals. That, that could have been bad, but we're all good. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a very big stuffed squirrel. He wasn't quite that big, but it's not that far off. He was a big guy. Anyway, she... Um, we got this humane squirrel trap right here to catch the squirrel. And so we set that up. And the way this works is you, uh, there's a little, there's a little uh, bait platform right here in the middle. I don't know if you can see that. And you put the bait right there. And so what you want the squirrel to do is to see the bait or smell the bait and to come in. And then they trigger the trap. And then the, the gate closes and it closes them in. 
right? And so what we did is we put a peanut butter cracker in there. Now, I've never, I've never met a squirrel in my life who doesn't like a peanut butter cracker. In fact, I thought it looked so good, I almost ate it when I was in here trying to catch that squirrel. Peanut butter cracker. Well, this squirrel, let me tell you, he was not interested in the peanut butter cracker. We could not get him to go into the trap. We left it up for some time, and we could not get him to take the bait. So we had to use um, other methods for dealing with the squirrel problem. I had to call in the elite fighting force known as the Life Chapel security team, and they came in and they, they got the job done. They got the scroll. So we're all safe now in case you're wondering. But, uh, but I wanted to use this humane squirrel trap to show you something that we actually see in the scripture because this little latch right here, this little latch in, in the Bible is called the scandalon. It's actually in the Bible. And so what happens is when the squirrel, if it works like it's supposed to, when the squirrel comes into the trap and, and takes the bait, it, it triggers the scandalon and then the squirrel gets trapped into, uh, in, into the trap. And so uh, the, the scandalon is what you put the bait on. It's the thing that triggers this. In the olden days, they would put bait on a stick uh, and like with a box or like a rope or some, some kind. And that thing that the bait was sitting on is called the scandalon. If you were fishing, the scandalon would be the hook that you put your bait on. That's what it is. And that word, scandalon, is in the Bible. Now get, now get this. This is really interesting. This Greek word, scandalon, guess what it translates to when it shows up in the Scripture? It translates to the word offense. Isn't that amazing? The thing that you put the bait on to entrap you is offense. Here's, where, here's one place where it shows up. Jesus is talking in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And he says to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses or no scandalon should come, but woe to him through whom they come. Jesus said it's impossible for you to live your life and not have the opportunity to take the peanut butter cracker. It's impossible for you to live your life without having an opportunity to take the bait, to take offense at someone or something that someone has done. Offense is the bait of Satan. And when you take the bait and you take offense, his trap for your life is activated. He's got you right where he wants you. And he's got you in a prison that he himself has set up for you. And people are falling for this trap of the devil every single day in droves. So many people are so easily offended in our world today. Do you agree with that? And guess what? I, I've got some bad news for you. It's, it's only going to get worse uh, because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. And I want you to look at that with me. In Matthew 24, beginning in verse 3, the disciples came to Jesus and they wanted to know, hey, Jesus, tell us when these things are going to happen. You've been talking about the end times what are the signs that we can look for? How do we know uh, your coming is near? What are the signs of the end of the age? How do we know we're getting close to the end of this thing? And then in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. There's one sign right there. In the end times, there's going to be mass deception. Look at verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's another sign. Wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus goes on. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. So then we get a few more signs of the end of the age. There's going to be famine. Famine is a scarcity of food or things that you need for survival. I, I've never had a time in my life when I couldn't just go to the store and get what I want. You go to the store, it may not be there. You look for it in another store and it may not be there either. There's a scarcity of food and services and things that we need for survival. And, you know, the experts in Washington are telling us it's probably going to get worse this summer. He says pestilences. Pestilence is defined as a fatal epidemic disease. Check. That's right. Earthquakes. 
literally a shaking of the ground. Check this out. According to Statista.com, a total of 1,443 earthquakes were recorded in 2020 around the world. That's a lot, but get this. In 2021, a total of 2,206 earthquakes were recorded. That's almost double the amount of earthquakes on the earth in just one year's time. There's more earthquakes happening on the earth than ever before. And you can look at it figuratively, uh, like an earthquake is the shaking of the foundations that things are built upon. We have seen that over the last few years in our world. Everything that we thought we knew to be true has been shaken loose, and now we don't know what's true and what's false anymore. Everything except for the things that God spoke to us in his word. Jesus said in verse 8, all these things are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains, some translations say. There are some pretty clear indicators that we're living in the last days that Jesus spoke about. Literally, for the first time in my life, you can check off every single one of those things and say, okay, we're here. We're in it. This could be it. I'm not saying it is it, but it could be it. Amen? Then Jesus goes on in verse 10, and he adds something very interesting to these signs that we should be looking out for. In verse 10, he says, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So as we get closer and closer to the end of the age and the rapture of the church, which the Bible says is our blessed hope, by the way, and you need to live ready. Can I just tell you that? Rather than focusing on, does this earthquake matter? Is this this war significant? Just say, I'm ready. Whenever Jesus wants to come, I'm ready to go. Okay? But as we get closer and closer to that moment, the end of this age that we've been living in for quite some time, Jesus said, many are going to be offended. There's going to be massive offense. It's actually a sign of the end of time. So don't just look for the big wars and pestilence and earthquakes. Look for a bunch of people who are easily offended and hold on to that offense. And again, I think Jesus pegged it. He's describing the day we are living in. People literally get offended about everything, don't they? Come on, cancel culture, anybody? You offended anybody lately? I got, I got banned on Twitter last week. And I didn't even do anything. I retweeted something, somebody else. It was just a, just a, a video of a Russian tank getting destroyed. Come on, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Putin's Twitter account hasn't been deleted. I'm serious. Cancel culture. Oh, you've offended somebody. Everybody gets offended so easily. We are living, Jesus said, here in this passage, we see this natural progression of things as we dig closer and closer to the end. When it comes to offense, offense, many are going to become offended, and then many will betray, and then that betrayal will lead to hatred. And I want to take a few moments and just look at this negative progression that Jesus gave us in the Scripture because it all begins with offense, the bait of Satan. That's where it all starts. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, the Bible says, A brother offended is harder to win over than a strong city. You know, it's difficult to, to help somebody who is offended come out of that place of offense. Have you ever tried to do that? They're mad about something, and you know, most of the time they just want you to agree with them. I have a right to be angry. You know, they don't want you to kind of try to pull them out of that offended place. Solomon, you know, the Bible tells us is the wisest man who ever lived. And he said, it's harder to win over a strong city than it is to help a brother come out of offense. And in the Old Testament, a city was characterized as a weak or strong city based on the size and strength of the walls that the city had around it. What made a city strong is that it had a strong wall around it. And the purpose of the wall was very simple. It was to add this massive layer of protection to the inhabitants of the city. The wall kept the people you didn't want coming into your city on the outside looking in. So people you deemed as a threat to you were simply met by a wall and they could go no further. They were on the outside looking in. They could not penetrate the walls that were in front of them. Now that image of a walled city, I think describes an offended person really well. They've got walls up because they have undealt with offenses on the inside of them. And it's really hard for people to get to know them. It's really hard for people to get close to them. It's really hard for people to connect with their heart. Why? Because there is a massive wall that they've put up that they're not letting you through. 
The New Testament uses a similar idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, but instead of using the word walls, the scripture uses the word strongholds. But it's the same type of thing. A stronghold is a fortified position that offers the assumption of protection. Now, I want you to look at this with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Paul gets into this. He says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. That is a message for the church in this day and hour. We must fight with the weapons we have. We are in a war, but it's not like what the world is waging right now. We fight with prayer and faith. Come on. We're not fighting like they are. On the contrary, the weapons we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, Paul is going to help us understand what these strongholds are beginning in verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments. That word in the Greek means our reasonings and our ways of thinking. We uh, demolish every pretension. Your Bible might say presumption or it might say imaginations. In the Greek, these are ideas that lead to other ideas. So in other words, it's the formation of our perspective and the way we see things. That's what Paul's talking about here. So it's arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then he says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So if you look at those verses of Scripture and you look at the wording that Paul used to describe the stronghold here, and you think about it, reasonings, ways of thinking, ideas and perspective and knowledge and thoughts, all of that happens up here, doesn't it? All of it does. So what Paul's saying is these are strongholds of the mind. These strongholds are set patterns of thinking and reasoning through which we process information that then determines how we're going to live our lives. Our thinking determines our choices and our actions and our behaviors. At the end of the day, listen, nobody can make you do anything. Nobody can force you to do anything. Your reasoning processes come into agreement with what somebody said, and then you made a choice to do it. That's what happens. It's thinking that leads to behaviors and actions. Now listen, an offended person develops reasoning processes and thinking patterns that are set up around the wounds of their offense rather than the knowledge of God. And you can't have it both ways. You're either building thinking patterns based on what you've been through and your offense or what God's word says, and the knowledge of God. Remember, Paul said these strongholds have set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And when you think about what the knowledge of God is, and you really dig into that, it's talking about his nature, the way that he thinks about things. The Bible tells us what he thinks about things. And not just that, but the way that he's asked us to live our lives according to his word. So simply put, someone with a stronghold of offense, with their walls and defenses up, listen, they cannot live like Jesus. It's not about your will or your desire. It's about your thinking patterns telling you how to behave and how to act and choices that you make. And the goal of every single Christ follower is to live like him. That's the point of it. It's to follow him. It's to live like him. For example, if you look at love, the scripture tells us that God is love. That is his nature. That's the nature of God. Scripture also tells us how God loves us and expects us to love others. And then we see it in the life of Jesus. He loved his heavenly father and he loved people with absolutely no limitations, no walls, no selfish motivations whatsoever. He did not love people based on what they could do for him. He simply chose to love them. The nature of his love that he lived out every day that he was on this earth was always giving. The Bible says that he had compassion on the people and his compassion, his love for them is what drove him to do the ministry that he did for them. The, the healings, the things, the miracles that you read about in the scripture, it was his love for people that drove him to do that. It was his love for you and me that drove him to the cross. That's why he went to the cross. It was his love. He showed us how to love others and this is what it is. It's giving, sacrificial, serving, putting others above ourselves. Now listen, an offended person can't do that because an offended person has retreated into a defensive posture of protection behind their walls or inside that stronghold. An offended person does not live to give like someone who is following after Jesus and trying to do it the way he does it. They live to protect themselves. That's their number one goal is self-preservation and protection. And so they convince themselves that if they don't keep behind their walls, they are going to get hurt. 
And this mindset, this set pattern of thinking, this isolation of the soul and, and protection of the heart is absolutely contrary to what we know the Word of God teaches for how we should live our lives. This way of thinking is actually a perfect breeding ground for what Jesus said offense would lead to in Matthew chapter 24. He said, many will become offended. And then, what do you say next? They will betray one another. Betrayal. John Bevere in his book, Debate of Satan, he offers a definition of betrayal. He says that betrayal is when I seek my benefit or my protection at the expense of someone I'm in relationship with. And so when your focus is to look out for yourself first and foremost because you've become offended, it makes you a strong candidate for betrayal. Here's why. You can't live your life looking out for yourself and live to give to others at the same time. Your love for the other person gradually fades the more inward focus you become. And when you stop giving in the relationship, according to Bevere in his book, that is betrayal by definition. When you stop giving, you're, you're, not, you're not meeting your end of the bargain anymore. This is no longer a relationship of giving and receiving. I'm just receiving from you now. I'm not giving anything. That's betrayal. And God allowed us to see a perfect picture of this truth geographically in the nation of Israel. There's actually two major seas in Israel, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And the Sea of Galilee, it receives waters freely from the mountains in the north. They flow down into it, and it gives waters freely in the south. The water flows down into the Jordan River in the south. So it freely receives, and it freely gives. And guess what? The Sea of Galilee is loaded with life. There's lots of fish there. There's, uh, there's plants all around. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. That's what the Sea of Galilee is. But the Dead Sea, by contrast, is not like that. It receives water freely from the Jordan River that's coming into it, but it has no outlet. It doesn't give its waters away. It only takes in. It doesn't give out. And that's why it's called the Dead Sea, because nothing can live there. It is completely dead. It is not beautiful. It is arid and ugly and, and, and totally, totally dead. So think about the picture that these two seas create for us. An offended Christian receives the love of God coming in, but they have their walls built up so that they don't give their love away to anybody else. Their focus is on inward protection, protecting themselves, not giving to others. So the love that they're receiving grows cold. The focus is on the self, which leads to betrayal, which is the abandonment of the relationship. And if you go back to what Jesus said in Matthew 24... It doesn't stop there. There's this progression of things that begins with offense. And then it goes to betrayal. And then it can lead to hatred. And this word hatred, we really don't understand uh, this word fully in the context of our language. And when we think about hatred, at least I do, I think of these like almost violent outbursts of anger. Like when you hate somebody, like I mean, I, I think of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, like I will take you down. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a violent outburst of anger. But that's, uh, that's not really what hatred is. Uh, you can have deep hatred for someone and show no emotion at all. Let me show you this in Scripture. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 22. The Bible says, And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Isn't that interesting? His hatred for his brother, Amnon, was real, but there was no emotion attached to it. There was nothing good, nothing bad. There was absolutely no emotion. And the word for hatred here in Matthew 24 is uh, based off the Greek word messio, which means to love less. And Bevere says in his book that that kind of hatred is a, is a vacuum void of love. It is simply that there is no love left in your heart for someone. There's no feelings there. There's no emotion towards them whatsoever. In 1 John chapter 2, the scripture says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is actually living in darkness. Scripture goes on in 1 John chapter 4, and it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, watch this, he is a liar. 
This hatred thing is a really big deal to God, and that's the power of offense. That, that's where it all begins. It begins by becoming offended, which then can lead to betrayal, and eventually it can drain all the love that you used to have for others out of your heart. And then, watch this, it even compromises your relationship with God. There are massive implications that stem from offense. And now if you look back at what Jesus said about the signs of the end of the age in Matthew 24, after he lays out this progression of offense and betrayal and hatred, he goes on in verse 11 and he says this, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now who are the many that are going to be deceived in the last days? Well, it's the many who have become offended in verse 10. So here's what Jesus is saying. Offense is a breeding ground for deception. And you know, this truth, it it hit me like a ton of bricks this week as I was studying. Because I started to think about all the people that I've known over the years and all the people that I've pastored over the years that seem to have become deceived by something. And I've often wondered, how in the world are they falling for this? Why, why in the world did they believe that lie from the enemy? How did they get there? The truth is right in front of them, and yet they can't see it. They're oblivious to it. Why? And I've often wondered why that is. And when I studied this out and I looked into this and I saw it, I saw the answer and the reality. They were all carrying offenses that they had not dealt with. I kid you not, every single person that the Lord brought back to my memory, and there were several, they were living under the spell of self or or spell of deception, and they were also highly offended over something that someone had said or done or just straight up offended at another person, and they had not healed from it yet. And their refusal or inability to deal with their offended heart caused them to not be able to see the truth for themselves or receive the truth when someone else confronted them with it in love. And the Bible actually speaks of this very thing in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 15. In the Old Testament, the people are having a conversation with God, and the prophet is kind of relaying both sides of this, and the people say, we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. That refuge and hiding place, what they're describing is a stronghold. And you remember the strongholds we were talking about earlier that offended people tend to retreat into. The, the offense causes us to retreat into a stronghold. And remember, the stronghold has set itself up against the knowledge of God, who is the very definition of truth. And so listen to me. It's, it's not, it, the, the refuge is a lie. It, it feels like it should be safe for you, but it's not because it's built on a lie. And the longer you stay in it, the more power the deception has over your mind, the, the longer you stay offended and the harder it is for you to get free. And again, I know this is true because I've witnessed it more times than I care to remember. Offense does not only lead to betrayal and hatred and the demise of a relationship, it also leads to your inability to discern the truth from a lie. And when you live under the darkness of deception, you run headfirst into destruction. And that's what God told them when he answered the people. And they said, we've we've got a refuge here. We don't care that it's based on a lie. Like We feel safe. God answered them and he said, because you've made a lie your refuge and falsehood, your hiding place, swift destruction is coming your way. See, that's the danger of offense that leads to deception. It's destructive. And in the end times, many false prophets will rise up and deceive the many who are offended, Jesus said. And something else that's interesting about this passage, when we hear the words false prophets, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I automatically think of preachers. When I hear false prophets, I think of preachers on you know, Christian television who are telling you that if you'll give them some money, God will bless you in some way. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, don't, don't fall for that, by the way. Don't do that. Don't do that. But, you know, they, 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 you know they, they stretch doctrine. They do things like that. And, you know, I, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind here, though, when he talked about false prophets. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus addressed false prophets there, too, in the Scripture. And this is what he said in Matthew seven fifteen. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He described false prophets as wolves in sheep's clothing. And notice, he didn't say wolves in shepherd's clothing. In other words, the false prophets that Jesus is referring to are not necessarily standing on a stage and preaching the word of God. They're more than likely sitting in the chairs. 
And we look for false prophets behind the pulpit, and we should 100%. Absolutely. You should be aware. You should, you know, I, I, I say, you know, chew the meat and spit the bones. Even if I say something that you're not, I'm not so sure about that. Okay, that's fine. Spit out the bone, just chew the meat. It's okay. We should be aware of that. But we tend to miss the false prophets hiding in the middle of the flock. And I've been in church my whole life, and the reality is most of the damage that I've seen done to once strong churches was not done by a rogue preacher who went off the rails and started teaching bad doctrine. It was done by hurt and angry church members who started sowing offense within the body of Christ. And Paul actively, act, uh, actually addresses these false prophet, prophets that we find in the flock in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 through 18. He's writing to the leaders of the church in Rome, and he's writing and he's telling them, hey, I urge you, brethren, to note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, watch this, they deceive the hearts of the simple. There it is again. See, the scripture will prove itself right time and time again when you get exposed to someone who's sowing offense in the body of Christ it creates the perfect opportunity for you then to become deceived to believe a lie over the truth and foolishness over wisdom so we've got this progression that we see in Matthew chapter 24 of the way things are going to be in the end times. People are going to become easily offended, which will lead to betrayal, which can lead to hatred of their relationships. And then they'll become easy to deceive. And then Jesus goes on in verse 12 and he adds something else. He says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness. Other translations here say there will be an increase in wickedness or wicked behavior. One translation that I really like, the New Living Translation, says sin will be rampant everywhere. Now, again, I think that's a really good description of our world right now. Sin is rampant everywhere. I think we're living in it. But this word lawlessness, in the Greek, it, it comes from the word anomia. It means to not be submitted to the authority of God. It's not recognizing God's authority. It's not being submitted to his word. And again, we can see that as a reality in our world right now. But Jesus, in this passage, he's really not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. So what does lawlessness mean for us, people who claim to be followers of Jesus? Well, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and you look at the scriptures and what it says about the strongholds that we build and we run into when we are offended, they are strongholds of the mind, our reasonings and our thinking patterns. And again, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 10 and 5, that they set themselves up against the knowledge of God. So this lawlessness that Jesus is talking about is thinking that is contrary to the scripture. It is a disregard for the word of the Lord. It is an understanding. I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't care. I'm going to do it my way anyway. I'm going to live my life my way. We choose to do it our way over his way. And Jesus said that is lawlessness in your thinking that leads to lawlessness in your actions. And it all stems from offense. That's where it all starts. And Jesus said because of that, the love of many, there's that word again, the love of the many who have become offended, their love is going to grow cold. And again, you know, there's several different words for love in the New Testament. We've talked about those before. There's like romantic love, you know, the kind of love you have with your spouse. Come on, somebody. Um, we talked about that love a few weeks ago. There's like bro love, like, man, I love you, you know. There's like love of pizza. I love this pizza. <laughs> but then there's the word agape, which is the love of God. And there's nothing generic about that love. It's the love that gives regardless of the return. It's the love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5 says. It's the love of God that we're expected as Christ followers to then give and reflect to others. But Jesus said in the last days, because of offense, that love, the love of God that should be active in the body of Christ, it's actually going to grow cold. And so Jesus was telling his disciples, in the last day, there's going to be massive offense and massive problems caused in the church because of that offense. And it's not going to be very easy to find the love of God in the church anymore. And see, that's the problem with offense. 
when you don't realize that you've been entrapped in it and you don't realize that you're actually living offended, you can't see the path of destruction that it's creating for you and for everybody else. You can't see what's happening in your relationships. You can't really see what's happening in the body of Christ around you. There are ramifications for offense, and they're massive. And according to Jesus, as we get closer and closer to the end, the more people are going to become offended, it's going to be more massive offense. And now when we talk about this idea of massive offense, we're not just talking about, you know, massive amounts of people getting offended and all the massive ramifications that Jesus lays out in Matthew 24. I think we've also got to look at the severity of the offense. Because the truth is there are little offenses and there are massive offenses. There are offenses that you get over with quickly, you forget about them, and then there are offenses that you hold on to for the rest of your life, right? What's the difference? Why are some offenses a bigger deal than others? Well, massive offenses, the ones that are harder to get over, they occur in relationship with the people that we are the closest to. And so the closer you are to someone, the more massive the potential offense. David noted this in Psalms chapter 55. Look at it with me in verse 12. He says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship in the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Here's the principle The closer the relationship, the greater the potential for massive offense. Here's why. It's because our expectations are higher for those that we're in relationship with. And the closer we are to to them, the higher the expectations are. Relational hurt always is the result of unmet expectations. David said, I have no expectation of my enemy. I have no expectation of my foe. They offend me all the time and I think nothing of it. They're an enemy. They're not close to me. I don't care. But you, my close friend, my companion, someone who I trusted, someone who I I went to church with, when you offended me, when you hurt me, I felt it deeply because I had a much higher expectation of you and the way you would treat me than somebody out there in the world. The closer the relationship, the higher the expectations, the deeper the hurt when it comes and the stronger the offense. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking on that? This is why as Christians, we don't get offended when somewhere, someone from out there in the world insults us or mistreats us. That's kind of the expectation, you know. They don't know what the love of God is. They're somewhat oblivious to the way that they should treat people. Some are. And so when they treat us poorly, no big deal. At best, they've met our expectations. But when someone from out there in the world that you don't know is polite or caring or, or even loving towards us, we're blown away. Why? Because that totally exceeded your expectations. I experienced this just yesterday in the McDonald's drive through My expectations going in were at zero. And they were nice, they were quick, and they got my order right. Come on, somebody. I was like, this is great. This is the best McDonald's. I was going to go online and tweet about it, but my Twitter account suspended. <laughs> but, we, you know, with the people around us, we're at zero. But now watch this. When, with our brother or sister in Christ, someone that we enjoy sweet fellowship with, like David said in the psalm, when they do something hurtful or insulting or they're just plain inconsiderate to us, the opportunity for greater offense is there because our expectations of them are higher. Put that graphic back on the, on the screen for a second because I want you to see this. If the world is at a zero, then fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, our expectations of them might be at a three. And then your expectations on your pastor might be at a five. I get it. I signed up for it. It's okay. Your expectation, and again, the closer you are, the higher your expectations go. Your expectations on your parents might be at a six or a seven. On your spouse, it might be an eight or a nine. And your expectations on God are at a ten. And if our expectation is at zero, They offend us and it doesn't matter. Okay, no big deal. That's what they do. But you see, the higher our expectation level is, the bigger the opportunity for massive offense is to take root in our hearts. That's why you quickly forget about the guy who cut you off on the freeway and told you he thought you were number one as he drove by you. You forget about that quickly. But you remember for years the hurt your parents caused you. 
you struggle to get over that pain that your spouse created in your heart. The closer you are, the more massive the offense becomes. And I want to stop right there today because I believe there are many of us in this room and many of you watching me online right now and you've been carrying this massive offense, this massive amount of offense in your heart because the reality is someone that you were close to hurt you. It wasn't someone that you didn't care about. It was someone that you were close to. It was someone that you had faith in. It was someone you trusted. And the hurt that caused you was very real. And there's been something happening in your heart ever since, and it hasn't been good. It's been pretty destructive for you. Maybe it was a close friend or a brother or sister in Christ. You know, the longer I pastor, the more I realize that church hurt is very real. People carry it. Perhaps the hurt you've been carrying is from a spiritual leader in your life, a pastor that you looked up to, and you haven't really healed from that hurt. Offense took root in your heart, and it's been there, and it's been hard to get over. Maybe the offense for you came from your parents, and they weren't there when you needed them to be there for you. Or maybe they failed at some aspect of parenting in your eyes, and you feel like a casualty of it. Or maybe you're still reeling from the offenses created in a broken home when you found yourself in the middle of two people that were supposed to come together and nurture and love you into adulthood, but you were in the middle and they were fighting. And it wounded you, it hurt you, and there's a fence there. That's real pain. Maybe you're here today and the offense that you've been dealing with is from your spouse. Words were spoken They cut at your heart. They wounded you deeply. And while apologies have been spoken, it just hasn't been sufficient enough to heal the hurt. And some days you struggle to see a path forward. Some days you're not sure if you should stay. You're struggling in a trap of offense. Maybe it wasn't the words. Maybe it was the actions. Maybe it was betrayal. And it hurts. And you've wondered, should I stay? I've got a right to leave. I've got a right to go. You're offended. You're hurt. You're broken. The pain is real. Some of you are offended at God. You feel like God let you down. Because he didn't come through for you in the moment that you needed him the most. Massive offense. Deep, deep wounds. If that's you today, and you've been hurt because your expectations in someone were very high, there's hope for you. There's healing for you in Jesus' name. I'm telling you right now there is. There's freedom for you. You don't have to leave here the same way that you came in today. You can come back from this trap, this bait of Satan. You can come back from this place of offense. How do I know that? Well, I know because of what Jesus said to us in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, here it is, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what that means, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? To proclaim it is a new day, and it starts right now. It's a new season. It's not a season of offense anymore. It's a season of healing. It's not a season of brokenness anymore. It's a season of freedom. It's not a season of blindness anymore, stuck in the darkness of deception. It's a season of things being clearly seen. Your eyes are open. The eyes of your heart, you can see things clearly. You've got vision for your life. It's a new season. And so here's the good news for you today. You don't have to live with that unhealed hurt in your heart any longer because Jesus can heal you if you want him to. And this is where it really gets hard because... What the devil tells us is that we should continue just to hold on to our fence. Don't come out of your stronghold. Don't come out from behind those walls that you've been hiding. That's what the enemy's telling some of you right now. Just stay where you are. You're okay. 
I'm telling you that there is such, there is such a better life for you than what you've been living if you've been living under the bondage of oppression and offense. He's got something better for you. I want the band to come, and as they do, in fact, let's all stand together. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer because I believe Jesus is working in such a mighty way right now. I can sense him working. I can sense his, his spirit working, moving. Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, God. We give you praise, Lord, because your word is truth, God, and it confronts us in our innermost places. It confronts our hearts, God. We're hiding in this stronghold that we think has been keeping us safe. And God, you find us there. Lord, we've been hiding behind these walls that we've built up around our heart. But God, you penetrate right through those walls and you come to where we are. And Lord, when you get there, you, you extend your love to us. You're not looking to condemn us. You're not looking to come down on us and add to the offense, God. You're looking to heal us and set us free. You're looking, God, to bring us out of that place that we've been living and to put us into the place of hope for our future. God, that's what you want to do in this place today. And Lord, I just pray that you would begin to move and work all across this sanctuary right now, God. Come on, if, if, if I described you at all, you've been dealing with massive offense in your heart, just begin to receive the love of God right now. That's what you need. It's just the love of God. It's his love. There's nothing weird about that. There's, nobody's going to come and get you. Nobody's, nobody's going to do anything weird to you today. It's just the love of God. Just receive it right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The Bible says his love covers up a multitude of sin. God, would you do it right now in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I speak to the hurt that some of you have been carrying in your heart. I speak healing to that hurt in Jesus' name. Be healed now. In Jesus' name, wounds that have been open and you thought would never heal, God, heal them now in Jesus' name, right now. Right now, Lord, brokenness, severe brokenness from our past. Some of us have seen things with our eyes that, that hurt us deeply. Father, would you bring healing to those places now? God, would you restore our minds, Lord? Restore, God. Restore our thinking. Lord, not thinking built around an offense, but thinking built on your word that says we are healed and whole and set free. God, do it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If this is for you, I want you to do this. I see, I, 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 it's like someone, they, you came in with handcuffs on and I see your hands like this and you're like, you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm cuffed up. The Lord says, if you'll lift your hands in worship, those handcuffs are going to fall off. You'll be set free right now. If you need that, just do it. I, just be free. Just do it. I need freedom. I need freedom from offense. I need freedom from hurt and brokenness. Come on, the choice is yours. There's nothing else that Jesus has to do. When he went to the cross, he did everything that he needed to do for your freedom and for your healing. The choice is yours. Do you want it or not? Do you want to receive healing today and wholeness? Come on, we're going to lead you in this song again. And as we do, just let the Lord minister to your heart today.